Good evening, it's, it's been a while, but uh, I'm going to just look at some individual studies and this evening look at Psalm 16. Um, Psalm 16, I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. And thank you for being with us the last few weeks. Look forward to seeing you this coming Lord's Day. Again, refreshments at the four o'clock service. So Psalm 16, it's a miktam of David. It's entitled, You Will Not Abandon My Soul. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. We thank the Lord. He speaks to us in his holy and inerrant word. So Psalm 16 is a prayer for security. It was written almost 3,000 years ago by King David. David is asking the Lord God to protect him and deliver him from threatening circumstances. Verse 1, preserve me, O God. Verse 9, my flesh also dwells secure. So David, therefore, is looking for security from Almighty God. What I want us to do as we consider Psalm 16, just for a few moments together, is to look at the causes for David's insecurity and apply it to us. Why is he praying this prayer? So what are his causes for this insecurity and apply it to us? Then I want to think about one wrong place to turn as we find security and show you why it will never work. And then finally, I want us to follow King David to see where he does find his security, that extraordinary security that characterizes him in Psalm 16. So it's the causes of insecurity, the sources of false security, and the only one true source of security. First of all, let's look at the causes of insecurity, because David starts the psalm praying for preservation and protection. So we need to ask, what is it that he wants to be protected from? What is it that makes him search for security? Well, he doesn't say explicitly in Psalm 16. But if you work through the major themes of the psalm, some of the issues that David is looking at, I think we can infer them. There are three in particular, three sources of insecurity that King David has to face. And I rather suspect they'll be all too familiar and applicable to us. The first is that in verses 3 and 4, peer pressure. You see, there were two groups in Israel, the saints in the land, verse 3, and then those in verse 4 who run after another god. Now, if you know about the early history of Israel, you know that idolatry, the worship of other gods, of idols, 
was a constant problem. Israelite society was almost always divided between those who were faithful to the Lord who had brought them out of bondage in Egypt and those who actually lingered, preferred the pagan gods of the nations around them. And ironically, that problem is nowhere seen is seen most clearly in the history of the monarchy of Israel itself. In each generation after King David started with King Solomon, the line of David found it really hard to resist that pull of pagan idols. So it is remarkable that David here clearly, with massive clarity, sides with those who worship the Lord. David says he delights in the company of the saints, the excellent ones in whom is all his delight but he refuses to participate with those who chase worship pagan gods now it is hard for us to understand the attraction of that kind of paganism current maybe in david's day because we're pulled to idols of a slightly different kind but david and his peers pagan idolatry was the intoxicating and powerful draw and large chunks of israel Israelite society was swept away by it but not King David he resists that pressure to join them the first source of insecurity from which David is preserved in this psalm is the pressure from his peers to turn to idols but the second the, you know, the second source of insecurity is uncertainty of the future verses 7 and 8 Another cause of potential insecurity that David seeks to avoid or asks God to help him avoid and manages to avoid by the grace of God is uncertainty of the future. Seven, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. Eight, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. One of the great sources of insecurity in our lives has to do with the future because it is unknown to us. We can't control it, however much we try and control it. We can't predict it, we can't avoid it. Many of us in our world around us live in a dread of an unknown tomorrow, an unknown COVID future, but not David. He faces tomorrow unshaken, unafraid. The third source of insecurity is the in in inescapability of death. This is the theme that occupies his attention from verse 9 to the end of the psalm. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now Sheol is the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead. David faces death and he does not quake. He looks death in the eye. We fear death. David says, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. As a society, we spend billions of pounds to avoid death at all costs. But nothing quite strikes our hearts the way that the words cancer, car accident, complications of COVID, COVID variants, or I'm afraid I have bad news, can strike at our hearts. Death shatters our plans for the future. Death is no respecter of anyone. Death moves towards all of us with an inevitability that is hard to think about. Three sources of insecurity. Do you recognize them? The pressure of the peers 
to fit in, to join in with the world, to go with the crowd. The uncertainty of the future. We try and build economic stability, psychological stability, emotional stability into our lives. We plan, we work, we strive to anticipate what is around the corner. The truth is we just don't know. And thirdly, the inescapability of death. I always find it quite interesting being a bit of a student of history. In 1960, when John F. Kennedy chose Lyndon Johnson to be his president, vice presidential running mate in the election, there was an uproar because there was many in the JFK camp who didn't like Lyndon B. Johnson. But what JFK said in mollifying those voices was, I'm 43 years old. I'm not going to die in office. So the vice presidency does not mean a thing. We can deceive ourselves. We can tell ourselves we're going to live forever. But death will always make fools of us in the end. So those three sources of insecurity, the pressure of our peers, the uncertainty of the future, and the inescapability of death, they can shake our confidence. They can rob us of our joy. They can rob us of security. What can be done about it? Before we answer that, secondly, let us look at a wrong turn we could make. Verse 4, this is the response of some of David's society to the peer pressure and the uncertainty of the future and the inescapability of death. They ran after idols. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The gods of the ancient world were gods of sex, fertility, war, power, harvest, weather, and so on. They work quite simply. If you wanted that good harvest for your crops, you gave the fertility gods the appropriate and required sacrifice. And if you wanted success in battle, you appeased the war gods. If you wanted money, power or health, you turned to those relevant gods. You performed the appropriate sacrifice to buy them off, to ward them off. That is what this language, by the way, about drink offerings of blood is all about. They would make a sacrifice in an attempt to manipulate the gods of money, sex and power into giving them money, sex and power. Now we may sit back and say in our 21st century little bubble and our sophistication and our technical world, disdain in the folly of the primitive culture that amongst whom David lived, but not so fast. Yeah, we don't make statues or perform rites to appease our idols, but money, sex and power is every bit as compelling to us in the 21st century as it was in David's day. And we run after them with every much, every bit of energy that they did. Tim Keller wrote, we may not believe in literal divine God beings of beauty, wealth, pleasure or fertility, but we must all live for something. And if we live for and love anything more than God himself, we are trapped. They become the things we have to have. So we run exhausted after them, but this leads to increasing suffering for life inevitably, inevitably takes them from it. So actually, though at first glance, verse 4 may appear outlandish to us, it is actually describing the familiar response of our world to the sources of insecurity in our lives. We're under pressure to conform from our peers. We fear the future. Death haunts the horizon. So we run after power, we run after money, we run after happiness, we run after family, we run after love. We expend ourselves in the pursuit of our idols. But the more we run after them, the more we find ourselves enslaved to them. 
Someone once asked, didn't they, John Paul Getty, how much money was enough? And he said, just a little bit more. It's never enough. The more we chase our idols, the more they enslave us, the deeper our suffering. As our hope for security continually eludes us, life takes our idols from us in the end. David says in verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. It leads us to the only true source of security. Where does David find it? The answer isn't hard to see. It's all over the psalm. Number one, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Two, I take say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David looks to the Lord God alone for his security. But he doesn't look to the God in the same way as we run after idols. He doesn't just think that God dispenses security and all David needs to do is to say, say the right words in the right order or do the right things or perform the right rituals and hope that the results will follow. He does not want God for what God will give him. You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. The Lord himself is his security, not only it's his, the giver of good. And that comes out in other ways as the psalm goes on. Verses 5 and 6. So in stark contrast to his peer group who are running after this God or that God to get what they need, or at least in the hope that they will get what they need, David says in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. Portion is their wealth, inheritance, cup, pleasure, satisfaction. And then he's able to say in verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines are the boundary lines that identify the allotment of his property in the land of Israel. But David is saying the Lord is his true allotment. The Lord is his portion more than money, pleasure, material wealth or power. The Lord himself is sufficient for him and God himself is all that he needs. Look at verse 11. After expressing his confidence in the face of death in verses 9 and 10, David says in verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So even beyond death, David is telling us he will know that fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, and only, but only, because God will be at his right hand. Only because God will be, David will be in God's presence forevermore. So do you get the message? It is remarkable, though not hard to see. David is not saying that we are wrong in the way that we try and find security but we're looking for it in all the wrong places he isn't just saying that god is a better way to get what you need he's saying that god himself is your security god himself is your reality god himself is your pleasure god himself is your inheritance god himself is your joy if you have god he is enough and that becomes even more remarkable when you understand that verses 9 and 10 don't apply to king david at all they apply to king jesus and in the first Christian sermon ever preached in Acts 2.25, Peter stood up on the streets of Jerusalem and said that this psalm is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He quoted Psalm 16 and he said it is about Jesus Christ whom God raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is God's holy one that didn't see corruption. Unlike David who died was buried and his remains decayed on the third day, Jesus could say in a way that David only glimpsed, you make known to me the path of life because on the third day the stone was rolled away and the Lord Jesus great David's greater son stepped from the grave alive to die no more Jesus defeated death he presides over the future as king never giving way to the pressure and demands of his peers to turn aside from his devotion to the father's will although he 
gave his life. Jesus dwells securely in the presence of his Father. He lives among pleasures forevermore at his right hand. And as Paul said in Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that means that God the Father has appointed Jesus to be the one in whom we find our rest, our peace, our security. He reigns over the future. He triumphs over death. Whatever the idols our peers may pressure us to follow, Jesus is more than enough to satisfy. Jesus is our wealth, our pleasure, our joy. Jesus is our portion and our cup. Jesus is our inheritance. And beyond him, beside him, we have no good. Jonathan Edwards's earliest sermon we know is called Christian Happiness. And preached in the 1720s. And his thesis is that the Christian is happy in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. And he offers three reasons why that is so. Reason one, if you know Jesus Christ, bad things work for your good. Romans 8.28 Reason two, if you have Jesus Christ, your good things, your adoption into God's family, your justification in his sight, your union with Jesus, your good things cannot be shaken. Romans 8 verse 1 And thirdly, if you have Jesus, your best things in life, your best things, life in heaven, the new creation, the world to come, are yet to come. Your bad things work for your good, your good things cannot be shaken, and your best things are yet to come. Which is another way to say the cause of our insecurity no longer need to shake us if we have Jesus Christ because he is our security. Besides him we have no good but in him we have everything. So have you been running after another God? Have you not found it enslaving? That pursuit of money, sex and power? Exhausting? As you run after what never delivers but demands more? The more you pursue it, the more enslaved you become. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another, God shall multiply. Have you found that to be true? That money, sex and power never answer the insecurities that peer pressure and an uncertain future and the inescapability of death pushing on us. But Jesus has triumphed over them all. And David is saying, run to him, rest in him. And you will be able to say at last, as David was able to say, therefore my heart is glad my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure may the lord bless the word for his glory amen